everybody. I'd like to welcome you to one more special edition of the Merchant Sales Podcast. Last week, I was talking about compliance surcharging, dual pricing, and all of that. And this week, I wanted to bring you some content that was just really, really popular. And I wanted to bring it to the podcast because, you know, we talk in depth about all these different payments issues. But the truth is, a lot of times what we don't do is we don't get down to the basics and just say, like, what is payment processing and how does it work? So I made some content uh, probably about a month ago. And it was two different videos actually that went together. And I wanted to bring those today to the podcast so that you can listen into that and have that audio version of it. And I put both of the videos together. So you know, bear in mind, it's from a Merchant Sales Insight. And for those of you that are more experienced in payments, I would actually encourage you to listen through it only because I worked really, really hard on it to try to take the entire industry and encapsulate it into something really simple. And that's valuable when you're talking to merchants, when you're talking to agents, when you're talking to new employees. Also, I thought this would be a really good episode where you could share this one with other people that maybe are coming into your company, people that are new to the industry, and they're like, what do you do? How does this work? This is my answer to that question. So we don't have any questions in the field. We don't have an insider's report. This is going to be a shorter podcast today, but I think it's really important because I break down how this industry works. So let's jump over to that content. And let's listen through that together. Um, and then I think what you're going to find is you're going to learn some really valuable information along the way. Then next week, we'll be back to our normal format. We'll have our interview, insider support, questions in the field. But I thought it'd be really cool to run through this content with you so that you can kind of get my answer to how do I explain to people how this industry works, how people make money, all of that stuff. So we follow a transaction and we talk about residuals and uh, margin and all these kind of things. So um, check it out. I think you're going to enjoy it. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Hi, my name is James Shepard. This is a Merchant Sales Insight, and this is a special two-part edition. This is part one. There is no sponsor for this edition. I just wanted to talk to you about payment processing. In a recent edition uh, sponsored by ISOAMP, I talked about the importance of having payments expertise. So I thought it'd be a good idea for me to take a couple of weeks and just talk about payments expertise. So today we're gonna talk about an introduction to payment processing, right? How does it work? And then next week, we're gonna talk about an introduction to selling payment processing. So let's dive in. What is payment processing? Well, ultimately, payment processing is about moving money. Eventually, it'll be just moving value, but we'll say moving money from a customer's bank account into a business's bank account. That's it. That's payment processing. And what we've seen is the you know types of services that that fill, fulfill that definition are expanding rapidly, right? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that with ACH, with uh, credit cards and debit cards. Eventually, it'll be you know crypto and other things that are going to be more mainstream. So um, moving money. So payment processing is just processing a payment, moving it from a customer's bank account to a business owner's bank account, okay? Now, how does that work, right? Well, on the customer side, you're going to have a point of sale or a device or a virtual terminal or a shopping cart but you're gonna have something at the point of sale, a technology solution that is going to securely collect the cardholder information. So we gotta collect the credit card number, the expiration date, the CVV code, all of that information has to be collected. And how do we collect it? Well, again, the primary versions of this you'll see are you know, a credit card terminal, some kind of a physical device, could be a point of sale system with a swiper on it or something you would insert into. Um, but you're going to collect the card information that way, or you're going to see a virtual terminal. This is where the business owner is going to log into a website 
and they're gonna say, hey, I've got a new sale, and they're literally gonna key in the card information, right, from a, maybe a phone sale or some kind of thing like that. Um, and then the third option would be a shopping cart. So this would be an e-commerce deal where people are gonna go into a shopping cart and they're gonna put their cardholder information in, okay? Now, once they put that cardholder information in, what happens next is that that information, along with the amount of the transaction, gets sent over one of the card brand networks. So is it a Visa card? Then it's gonna go over the Visa network. MasterCard, same thing, Discover, American Express, one of the pandemic networks, right? It's gonna go over a network and it's gonna reach out to what's called the issuing bank, okay, through this network. Now the issuing bank is the bank that issued the card to the customer, right? So all of you probably have a debit card in your wallet that was issued by your local bank. Well, in that case, your local bank is the issuing bank. So when you go to use that card at a business and you put that into a device, well, that information is gonna go from that terminal through the MasterCard network or the Visa network, whatever your card is, to the issuing bank and say, hey, does this person have enough money for this transaction? The bank will then respond with and say, yes, they do. And then they'll put a hold on that money. That's why when you go into your bank account, you see transactions that are pending. Those are transactions that have been authorized, but not settled, okay? So you have these authorized transactions, but they haven't been settled yet. Well, the card brand networks, when they get that uh, authorization back and say, yes, the money is there and we've held it, the card brands then send an authorization code or token back to the terminal or to the virtual terminal or to the shopping cart. And they say, hey, this transaction was approved. Then what is created is something called a batch. Okay, so you're gonna hear the word batch a lot. What that means is all the transactions that are approved are held in that terminal in a batch of transactions with their authorization code until the usually the end of the day. Then they're going to batch or settle the terminal. What that means is all the transactions that are stored throughout the day are then gonna be resubmitted back to the networks and say, hey, this transaction is done. We, are, we, we want our money, <laughs> right? Now, goes back to the issuing banks and says, hey, here's the approval code. You said they had the money. You said they were holding the money. Here's the approval code. We need to now settle the transaction. Now the issuing bank is gonna take that money. Let's say it's $100, $100 transaction. They're gonna take that $100 and they gotta get that $100 over to what's called the acquiring bank, all right? Now the acquiring bank is the bank that's for the merchant, okay? So usually the acquiring bank in our industry, we tend to call them the acquirer, okay? When you hear the word the acquirer, what that means is it is a payment processing company that has their own backend or settlement platform where they actually get the money from the issuing bank for all these transactions. Then they are able to then route those transactions and say, okay, we got 50,000 transactions today settled into our platform. And because we have these authorization codes tracked and everything, we know that this transaction actually goes to this particular pizza shop. And this one goes to this hair salon. And this one goes to this online retailer, right? And so that's called settlement, that process of settling the transaction and actually moving the money. Now, what's interesting is the issuing bank actually doesn't give the acquiring bank $100. You know how much they give them? Well, they give them the $100 less the interchange amount, okay? So you have interchange. Now, I realize for those of you that are actually true payments experts, I know I'm oversimplifying, okay? I get it. I know you're all gonna comment under here and tell me why I'm wrong and how there's a little bit different ways it works here and there, and I get it, okay? Believe me, I understand it all. I'm just trying to make it simple. But 
the issuing bank actually keeps a percentage of every transaction as the interchange. Now the interchange amount is gonna vary a lot. It could be as low as 0.5% and 21 cents on a regulated debit. Could be as high as 3% plus for a business rewards card, right? Um, so you're gonna have a percentage and a pride fee, but you're gonna have this interchange. When you hear about interchange, what is that? Interchange is the money that the issuing bank keeps out of each transaction. In other words, the issuing bank says, look, we issued the card, we are making sure the money is available, we are facilitating this transaction from the beginning, so we're gonna keep some money, and that's interchange, right? Now, interchange fluctuates based on several key factors. Number one, what type of card is it, right? Regulated debit's gonna be a lot cheaper than a cashback rewards card, okay? But there are other factors as well. For instance, another factor might be the method of entry. I told you about the physical terminal, the virtual terminal, and the e-commerce. Well, what's interesting is the same credit card used in a physical terminal is gonna have a different interchange rate versus if you use that card in a virtual terminal environment. Why? Because the, the, the odds of it being fraud are a lot higher if it's over the phone. Somebody could have taken the card and used it over the phone. If you're inserting a card with the EMV chip, a lot less likely that we're gonna have fraud there than if it's over the phone or if it's e-commerce. So interchange tends to go up when the card is card not present, okay? So um, interchange is gonna fluctuate. It's gonna fluctuate on the type of business. You use your card at a grocery store and then you go use the same card at a gas station and then you go use the same card at Walmart, you're actually gonna find out that those three companies are each gonna pay a different interchange cost for the same transaction of the same size because each business type, based on their fraud profile and other uh, criteria, have different interchange. So yeah, there you have interchange, okay? Now, as we think about kind of this last part of the equation, we now wanna talk about the fee structure and the cost structure, okay? So you understand kind of this general flow of money, right? We have a transaction, goes from the terminal, through the car brand networks to the issuing bank, then uh, back, hey, we got an approval, we have an authorization code. At the end of the day, there's a batch or a settlement that goes back to the issuing bank. The issuing bank says, okay, I got it. We're gonna now send the money to the acquiring bank, but the issuing bank is gonna hang on to the interchange. Now, the next and final part is, okay, what is the business owner gonna pay in order to have these payment processing services? Well, a couple of things. We're gonna get to what processors charge next week, but before we get to that, I wanna talk to you about card brand fees. So in addition to the interchange that's kept by the issuing bank, there's also gonna be card brand fees, all right? Now, card brand fees, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, Amex, they all have what's called dues and assessments, right? And they have many other fees as well, but most commonly we think about assessments, which is a basis point. So they might take 13 or 14 basis points of each transaction. They also have a per item cost, usually a couple of cents per transaction. So the true cost of a transaction before the processor can make any money, before you can make any margin or residual income, the issuing bank is gonna keep the interchange, the card brands are gonna to want to get their dues and assessments, and those are all costs that are gonna be built in. The average in the US right now is over 2%, it's like 2.1%. When you combine the interchange and the card brand fees, the average per transaction is about 2.1%. That is the average true cost and that's gonna be the same cost for every processor out there. My name is James Shepard. This is part two in a little mini series I'm doing on how payment processing really works. Please take a minute to watch part one before you watch this one because you will not understand this one uh, if you don't watch the other one. So in the last video, we talked about how payment processing works as far as the flow of money 
And you know, if somebody puts their card in a terminal, that it goes to the issuing bank, you get an, an authorization code. Uh, then at the end of the day, you settle the terminal or batch the terminal. Transactions are settled from the issuing bank to the acquiring bank. There's interchange costs, there's card brand fees. We talked about all that last week. This week, we're gonna talk about how does merchant sales actually work? Meaning, how do payment processing reps make money? How do we generate margin? Like where does profitability come from in this industry? So what we talked about last week was the cost structure, right? So last week we talked about interchange and card brand fees and how the average is about 2.1%. Let's call it 2% to make the math easy today. It's gonna vary a lot anyway. So out of a $100 transaction, we know on average we're gonna have about $2 of cost or 2% of cost out of 100 bucks, right? So how do you make money? How do ISOs make money? How do payment processors make money? Well, very simple, really. What they do is they mark up the cost, just like everybody else, okay? If you go to a store that sells bicycles and you buy a bicycle and you wonder how do they make money, it's very simple. There is a cost for that bicycle of what they paid for it. They mark it up and they sell it to you and they make a profit. We do the same thing in our industry, okay? Hopefully we're doing it in a transparent way, but uh, that's how we do it in our industry, right? There's these costs, interchange and card brand fees. We mark up that cost and we make a profit. Now the question is, how do we mark it up, right? How do we collect revenue? So we talked about expenses already for our business. Let's talk revenue, okay? I'm gonna give you four primary types of ways that we collect revenue. And again, this is kind of the crash course. I have a lot of other content that dives a lot deeper into these topics, but I gotta go through them quickly today. So let me give you the first one, the easiest one, which is flat rate pricing, okay? Think Square, think other providers like that, they're doing flat rate pricing. Flat rate pricing says we're going to charge you a flat 2.75%, maybe a small pridem fee, and we're going to charge you the same thing for every transaction. It doesn't matter what the cost of the transaction is, but we know that on average, we're going to bring in more revenue than we are going to have expenses. So on that $100 transaction, we're going to charge 2.75% and 25 cents, right? So we're going to collect $2.75 plus 25 cents is $3. Our cost was $2, so we made $1 on that transaction in margin, okay? So we have this margin to work with, all right? Um, number two, second really easy one to understand is going to be interchange plus pricing. Interchange plus pricing is kind of the opposite of the other one, which is interchange plus pricing, we are gonna take the true cost of every transaction and we're gonna show it to the merchant. We're gonna say this transaction, here's the interchange table, Here's how much we paid for this transaction in interchange. Here's how much we paid for card brand fees. And on top of that, we're gonna charge you 50 basis points or half a percent maybe and 10 cents, right? And so it's very transparent. It's very obvious how much we're making. The only downside of the interchange plus, especially for smaller merchants, the statements can be so complicated that they don't even understand what they're looking at. So that can kind of lose the benefits of the transparency just a little bit in my opinion, but it's still a really good pricing structure to use. Um, number three is tiered pricing. Now this has become a lot more interesting lately, but tiered pricing where we have kind of like flat rate, but we have multiple flat rates depending on the type of card that is run and other variables, mainly depending on the cost. So this is where you see things like the qualified rate, the mid-qualified rate, the non-qualified rate. This would, another good example of this would be a card present flat rate and then a card not present flat rate. So we'll say, we'll charge you 2% on all your card present transactions and 3% on all your card not present transactions, right? You see that more and more today. So we have 
uh, tiered pricing where we're getting our revenue by charging a percentage based on is it card present or card not present or what's the interchange cost of the transaction? Is it a, a rewards card or is it a debit card? We may have different rates, but we're still putting transactions into these buckets and each bucket has a different rate and we're generating revenue off of that to offset the cost and hopefully generate margin, all right? So we talked about three. The fourth one is gonna be differential pricing. So this is we're talking about compliance surcharging, we're talking about uh, you know cash discounting, we're talking about dual pricing, things like that. And what's interesting about those, people get really hung up with that, but what's interesting is actually those are not pricing structures, okay? They're really not. Um, those are actually pricing structures to the consumer. It really has nothing to do with the payment processing cost structure. For payment processing, that would be flat rate or tiered. In other words, if it's you know, cash discounting, you're probably charging them a flat rate of three or 4%. That's just flat rate. That works, the profitability works the same way as flat rate pricing. If you're doing surcharging, well, then you're probably charging them one flat rate for credit cards and one flat rate for debit cards. That's just tiered pricing with two different tiers, right? So when you think about the actual margin of the account, the profitability of it, the reason differential pricing is so profitable isn't because it's some weird different kind of pricing. It's just that it's flat rate or tiered pricing and the rates are pretty high. That's why it's really profitable. Very simple, okay? So that's the revenue. What's the cost? Well, we already talked about the interchange cost. We talked about the um, card brand fees. There's one other cost that comes in and that's what's called the Schedule A cost. The Schedule A cost is where the payment processor, the usually the acquiring bank, is gonna say, well, hold on a minute. I know we generated a dollar in profit on that $100 transaction, but we're not gonna share that entire dollar with you because we had to provide support. We had to move the money. We had to have the technology to ensure the fraud protection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we are gonna take the first X number of basis points or X you know, pennies. So we're gonna take the first you know, $6 each month, plus we're gonna take the first five basis points on every transaction, plus we're gonna take the first three cents on every transaction, right? So that's an additional cost called the Schedule A. Now the Schedule A doesn't go to the issuing bank or the card brands, that goes to usually the acquiring bank or the payment processor, depending on kind of where this level is at, but that's the Schedule A cost, and that's them literally saying, we're gonna just take some of that margin off the top, then whatever's left over, now we're gonna share that with the ISO, and the ISO is gonna then share that with the agent. So when you're talking about how you make money on an account, the most important variable is gonna be how much profit is there in the account, right? You gotta make sure you're selling profitable accounts. But then the other variable is where do you sit in this whole food chain, right? The acquirer made this money, they keep their cut, that goes down to the payment processor in some cases, they may take their little cut, then it goes down to the ISO and then they take their cut and then they give you a percentage of what they got right? And so you got to understand where you're at in the process. Do you have a true residual split or are you getting paid on margin? Understand how that margin is, is calculated, right? Like there's all these variables that go into it. But if you understand the core kind of underlying structure of the industry, which we've just discussed, it will really help you to understand how the industry works. Now, the final question I'm going to answer in the next minute, which I've done hundreds of videos about, and that is, how do you actually sell it, right? Like why do business owners switch to a new payment processor? Well, there's several reasons. The tried and true old way is cost savings. And anybody that's still payment processing, still selling it, understands that is still a major part of the conversation. People still wanna save money. 
However, we've now transitioned to more of a value-based approach, primarily around integrated technology and services. So we might say, well, we're gonna give you this Clover station for free, or this Zusa point of sale for free, or we're gonna give you this Labu point, uh, restaurant point of sale for free, and in exchange, we're gonna switch you to our payment processing, right? Probably the biggest cost reduction pitch the last few years has been differential pricing with dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging, where we've said to the merchant, look, you're currently paying 3,000 a month in processing fees. With us, you're only gonna pay 100 bucks, right? Why? Because actually the, the, the burden of the payment processing is going to the consumer, not on the business owner. We're collecting extra money from the consumer and keeping that. So, you know, that's how that all works. And you're switching people either based on the price or on the value usually of the technology or the service that you provide and providing a superior service experience. That was probably the most difficult content I've ever shot was this one and the one I just did. <laughs> Trying to fit all of that into two 10 minute segments was very challenging. I know I said a lot, I encourage you to dive a lot deeper, become a true payments expert, but hopefully last week and this week, my two 10 minute crash courses on payment processing gave you a little bit of insight into how the industry really works. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.